everybody, it's Pastor Thomas Boer here. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to start a little video series going through uh, some Bible basics. Um, and, and how can you be any more basic, or where else can you start, <laughs> than what is the Bible? Um, and I'm going to spend some time on that, because if we don't understand what the Bible is, uh, the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, um, how to interpret Scripture, that's a big one that we're going to look at, um, then everything else really doesn't matter if we're talking about Bible basics. If we're talking about what is the Christian faith and how to live it faithfully. Um, so, uh, let me just begin. Um, I'm going to read to you from the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter one of the Holy Scripture. And, you know, while this is words that are kind of condensed and packed in, uh, they're very helpful. And I don't think there's a better uh, definition or way to start talking about it than to go to the Confession of Faith. So um, you can look this up online if you want to read along or you can just listen here. So chapter one of the Holy Scripture, although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. And so basically what it's saying there right away is, Nature itself, creation itself, what God has made, what God has done, uh, his works through creation uh, that we see around us, and the work of God on our hearts that he gives to all men, uh, leaves us without an excuse, an excuse for our sin, an excuse for our refusal to uh, obey and worship and serve the Lord. Um, it says, yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. From nature, we can know a lot of things, but we cannot know that Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross, that he, that, that God became flesh and dwelt among us and so on. That special revelation only revealed to us in scripture in the word of God. Uh, so let me continue here. Uh, therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times, so different times, various times, and in diverse manners, uh, differing ways, to reveal himself and to declare that his will uh, unto his church. So he's, God has, through time and history, declared his will to his people in different times, at different ways, to make his purpose and his will known to his people, the church. And by church, we mean uh, the church, Old and New Testament alike. Uh, the scriptures do refer to uh, even Israel as the church, as the people of God, and so on. Uh, so, uh, continuing on here, it says, And afterwards, uh, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment uh, and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh, and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same wholly unto writing. Uh, which makes the Holy Scripture to be most necessary. Those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. Right? And so right away uh, in the Westminster Confession, and as we're working on a definition of what is the Bible, uh, we see that now the Bible has been given to us in its complete form. It's, there is no future further revelations. Uh, the Bible is... Uh, complete and entire uh, in itself as a full revelation of God and his will for for mankind, for his people, for the world. And so what does that rule out right away? That rules out that the Bible needs to be augmented or the Bible needs to be helped or the Bible needs something to come alongside it to uh, add to it. Um, what, what are we thinking of here? Well, if you're following the flow of that first section in the confession, uh, this is ruling out continuing uh, revelations and dreams and um, you know, words from God beyond the word of the Bible, his written word. Uh, Hebrews 1, 
1 and 2 says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And so there's a contrast between the prophets who have gone before and Christ, the final and great prophet, priest, and king who has come. And now these things are written down for us in Scripture to know him. And God's word is more um, indelible, more permanent, more fixed and clear when it is written. Uh, just like we may want written instructions in a contract uh, rather than just a verbal agreement and handshake. It's clear we're working from the same sheet of music, so to speak, the same text, the Bible, which is God's word. And we don't have to um, go and listen to someone's private uh, opinions or supposed dreams of what God told them uh, because we have the full and final word of God. And so that gets to the sufficiency of scripture and the Protestant principle of sola scriptura and so on and so forth. That scripture um, alone uh, is sufficient and the only infallible rule uh, of life to guide us, and there is no other um, word that, that is needed or that is given by God for us today to know and to follow him. The Bible is the full and final authority. And you would think this wouldn't have to be stressed, but it, but it does. And here's how some people really get around this or are, are pretty tricky. Uh, I was just uh, remembering, and I looked it up on YouTube. It's like a little 20-second video you can find. Um, you know, good old uh, uh, Joel Osteen. You know, he he's very crafty. He, he, I think it's at the beginning of his most of his videos is, you know, if you want to dare call them a service, worship service, they're not really. But, um, you know, he, he holds up the Bible, and it's like he has everybody repeat, you know, this is my Bible. Um it's true in all that it says of me. I should do what it, you know, do what it says, and I believe what it says, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, the statement itself is actually quite fine, quite good. Um, the problem is Joel Osteen doesn't believe a word of it, and that what he's telling the people to do and say, sadly, they probably don't either because they're either willfully deceived or just being hoodwinked by, by Joel Osteen. But the statement itself, is like a little creed to say, hey, see, uh, we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. At least we believe in the authority of Scripture. Everything it says is true about me, about God, about everything. I believe it. I will do what it says, um, and so on and so forth. But then look at what actually Joe Olstein teaches. I don't know if he teaches continuing revelation or not. I'm pretty sure he does in a soft form. Um, but he absolutely mangles Scripture in what it says and twists it to really his and others' destruction, as the Bible says people do with false teachers. So it's not enough to say the Bible is true, the Bible is sufficient, yada, yada, yada. It's not, and frankly, it's not enough to just confess um, the Westminster Confession here. We have to rightly go to the Bible and understand what it says, and how do we do that? Well, we're going to look at that as we continue to discuss what is the Bible. So then section two of the Confession says... Under the name of Holy Scripture, or the Word of God, written, are now contained all the books of the Old and New Testament, which are these. And then they list them. And I'm not really recording this to get into a debate on the canon, so I'm not going to spend the time to quote to you all the Old and New Testament texts, um, uh, books of the Bible, but let's continue. And it says, all these books are given by inspiration of God to be the rule of faith and life. And so... The Westminster Confession has proof text for every line that it gives here. So here it references Luke 16, 29, and 31. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. That's with um, the rich man of Lazarus and the, the parable that Jesus gives there. And if they have, Abraham says in this parable, they have Moses and the prophets, they have that word. They don't, they shouldn't have to have somebody come back from the dead. In other words, all scripture, Old and New Testament is Christian scripture. It all speaks and reveals Christ. The Old Testament saints 
had sufficient revelation from the word of God, even before Christ came, to know Christ, the coming Christ at that point, but the Christ truly. Um, Luke 24, 27, and 44. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, this is Jesus, expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, Moses and the prophets, elsewhere it says the Psalms, all the Old Testament scriptures, uh, Christ explained to his disciples how it revealed and spoke about him. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, which I, uh, while I was yet with you, that all the things must be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And here's another one, one of my favorite passages. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 16. Uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, From a child you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture, old, new, all of it. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And it goes on, that, you know, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus says in John 5, 46 and 47, For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Is that not a tremendous um, affirmation of the continuity and the unity of Scripture, and that all Scripture speaks, ultimately, um, in one way or another, of Christ? So, if you don't know the Bible, you do not know Christ. If you don't understand and know the words uh, of Christ, even in the Old Testament, Old Covenant with Moses, what does Jesus say? If you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Uh, our faith is built upon the word of God, pure and simple. Um, there is no competing holy book whether it's a physical book or a uh, private whispering of the Holy Spirit. Um, and there's, there's more uh, text here that we can, we can go through. Um, let's go to section three of the Confession first. The books commonly called the Apocrypha, not being of divine inspiration, are no part of the canon of the Scripture, and therefore are of no authority in the Church of God, nor to be in um, any otherwise approved or made use of than other human writings. So the Apocrypha may have some helpful things, but they're not inspired Holy Scripture. Um, what is inspired Holy Scripture? Like, what does that mean? Well, Second Peter one twenty one. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, right? So even prophecy, when it was given, was caused, moved by the work of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Uh, we already looked at Second Timothy three sixteen, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or really, as I heard it put before, you could say expiration. It is God breathed, um, and the word for you know wind or breath, spirit is all the same word in the Scriptures, and so. We're saying the Bible is inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. And this is a major problem that modern um, charismatics, Pentecostal types who want to go beyond the scriptures uh, have, because they usually say, well, we need a word from God, as if the Bible isn't the word of God. And then they say, well, no, we need a word from the Holy Spirit. Every word in the Bible is the Holy Spirit's word. That's what it means for it to be God-breathed. The Spirit comes like a wind. It's breathed out. It's the breath of God. Uh, and, and I should actually say He, the Holy Spirit, is the breath of God because the Holy Spirit is uh, the third person of the Trinity. And, you know, we, we, I mean, I haven't said, you know, the Spirit, you can conceive of it as, you know, an effect, but, but it's more than an effect. The Holy Spirit is God. And God by the Spirit, by His Spirit, Christ, by the Holy Spirit, His Spirit, uh, as it's referred to. Father and Son send the Spirit, and that's the role and work of the Spirit. We don't have a lot of time to go into all the details of the Holy Spirit right now, but the Word of God is the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. 
Uh, it isn't like you can have the Word of God written and then the Spirit's over here and they're two separate things. They're inseparable. God's Word is the Spirit's Word. If we actually believed that and understood basic uh, things that the church has understood down through the ages still on this, then we wouldn't be chasing down um, dreams and revelations and all these things that were given until the time of the completion of Scripture. You know, First Corinthians talks about tongues will pass away when that which is complete comes. And God's Word is complete. Um, the temple system, AD 70, you know, Whatever exact demarcation you want to say when the completion of, of that era uh, was over, it's certainly over now, 2,000 plus years uh, after, after Christ. So, we have the Word of God. And so, let's continue in section 4 of the Confession. The authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed and obeyed, Dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof, and therefore it is to be received because it is the word of God. Um, you know, what, what, what do the apostles say? That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Um, First John 5, 9, if we, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, of which he hath testified of his Son. Uh, verse Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because um, uh, when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Um, yeah, Second Timothy 1.19-20, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Second Timothy 3.16 passage again, and so on and so forth. So, you know, what are we saying here? Um, what do we understand about the Bible is that it's authoritative in and of itself. You cannot say the Bible gleans its authority from, from man, from the church. It's not as if the church... Um, the church recognized the authority of God's word. The church recognized uh, and acknowledged these books are inspired. Um, but it did not say we have the authority as the church to declare or to um, choose or to determine, if you will, uh, in that sense, what is the Bible, which books of the Bible are the Bible, and as if the church um, is the, the infallible interpreter of the Bible. That is not the case. The only infallible interpreter of the Bible is the Holy Spirit impressing his own words into our hearts. Why do we not understand the Bible infallibly? Because we are fallible. Not because the Bible is, not because the Bible isn't inspired, but because our understanding is darkened. Even as Christians, we're still um, sinful. We still don't have the full light of God's word, even as uh, we have the Holy Spirit to help us to interpret the Bible, to understand it as we study it. So, um, we receive the word of God precisely because it it is, you can put it like this, it is, in one sense, self-authenticating because it bears the marks of being of divine origin by its very content, its heavenly content. It is clearly something that is a revelation from God himself, not from fellow man, because of what it reveals about God, about the human heart, the depths of it, the glory of it, all of that reveals and testifies that it is not of human origin, but is indeed a divine voice. Um, so, section five, we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture. That's fine and well. And the heaven, the heavenliness of the matter, as I even mentioned. The efficacy of the doctrine, when you put into practice what the teaching says, it it's effectual, it works, it guides your life even as it says it would, and it gives us joy in the Lord. The majesty of the style, um, the consent of all of its parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, and its panoramic glory and power in it, 
the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies, and the entire perfection thereof, are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. Right? And so it's saying these are all the reasons by which and for which we should receive and believe the Bible to be God's word. Right? That's what it's saying. Now it goes on and it says, Yet notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. So why does it say that? Well, as I mentioned, it's because we're darkened sinners. <laughs> our mind, our hearts, our wills, all of that is fallen, uh, even redeemed in Christ. Uh, we still have right, hostility to, you know, we don't like it when our sins rebuked. We don't like it when God's word, you know, pokes us. Um, that sinful flesh certainly doesn't like that. So a person dead in trespasses and sins outside of Christ without the Holy Spirit working in, within them and having done a, a regenerating work to give them new life, eyes to see, ears to hear, as scripture says, without that work, a man, a person dead in sin will not be persuaded. Not because the Bible is lacking in persuasiveness or all the things we just mentioned here. That's all true, but just as somebody can deny what is so plainly obvious because of their hard-heartedness, because of their hatred of the truth, such it is for those outside of Christ who aren't born again. They don't want to come to the light because it exposes their darkness. We know that even as Christians. We don't like coming to the light to have the darkness exposed. We have to overcome that by the Spirit. What does Galatians 5 say? The Spirit and the flesh lust or war against one another, the contrary to one another, uh, so that you do not do the things that you want to do. So there's all these reasons given here that I just read through to believe the Bible to be the word of God. But that full persuasion comes by the inward work of the Holy Spirit upon God's people. But notice even here, the inward work of the Spirit bears witness by and with the word in our hearts, not contrary to the word, not even separate or apart from the word, but in and through the word, by and with the word. And remember, what word is this? It is the Spirit's word. So, of course, the Spirit explains his own words. Just as you may say something and then have to further explain it or help someone understand it, the Holy Spirit interprets and helps us understand his own words as we study the word of God, as we engage the scriptures. So, let's continue on. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory. Right? It's going to say all this is found in scripture. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, so to reveal God's glory, how man will be saved, faith and life, how we're to live a life of faith, serving and believing and trusting the Lord and, and walking righteously with him. All of that is either expressly set down in scripture, it's, it's verbatim in there, or, and this is important, or by good and necessary consequence, by good rules of interpretation, we're going to talk about that, a lot of that in the next video, by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whereby new revelations of the spirit or traditions of men. We're not to add to it. It's all given to us in Scripture, either verbatim or by careful study of the Scriptures, we can logically conclude or deduce that if A, B, C, and D is true, then uh, E is also true, even though E isn't explicitly said, the logic of the Scriptures would indicate that this also is true. And therefore, the Scriptures do say it, albeit implicitly, not explicitly. Um I, I, I trust you understand the basic point there. Um, the Bible doesn't have to explicitly say, for example, uh, and I'm saying this as a Reformed Presbyterian, uh, the Bible doesn't have to explicitly say in the New Testament, or in one sense, frankly, anywhere in the Bible, um, that uh, children of believers are to be baptized. Babies are to be baptized, right? The Bible doesn't have to say that explicitly for that to be implicitly what the Bible teaches.
Um, what is true in scripture is both what is explicitly said and implicitly deduced from the teaching of scripture. Um, so that's just one example. You can come up with a whole bunch of other examples. The, the doctrine of the Trinity is one that is commonly referred to. You don't have the word Trinity in the Bible and, and you don't have that precise um, teaching uh, of the Trinity. Yet every ortho, every biblical Christian, every true Christian believes that God is three persons in one God. Uh, that's a logical deduction, inference, etc. But it's it's the totality of, of Scripture bears that out. And you can get into systematic theology, biblical theology, these things as well, uh, to realize that even what is explicitly said uh, may be misinterpreted uh, if it's ripped out of context or you simply don't understand what the words obviously mean or command. All requires a deep and careful study of God's word. If you are a Christian that wants to grow in the faith, you must be a diligent student of God's revelation given to you. What is that revelation? Solely the Bible. Bible alone. Um, so some Bible verses on, um, on this. So uh, as far as the Holy Spirit persuading us inwardly in our hearts of the veracity, the truthfulness and, and goodness of Scripture as God's word. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit search of all things, yea, the deep things of God. Uh, Hebrews 4.12, where the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints uh, and marrow, and is the discerner, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. John 10.35, if he called them gods into whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, uh, you know, some of these you'd have to kind of argue a bit more to make it clearer than others. Um, let me see if there's another one I can go to that would be helpful here. First uh, Corinthians two four through five. In um, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. First um, Thessalonians one five. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. 1 John 2, 20 and 27. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Right? The Spirit is in the believer to help him understand the words of God. And ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now, again, I just... I'm going to make a comment on that. Some people look at that and say, well, look, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Let that just guide us as if we empty our minds. And whenever something clicks in our brains or just pops up into our thoughts, that must be what God's speaking to me to tell me what the Bible actually means. And hey, it even says I don't need any teachers here. So I can just go off with the Bible alone, not study it carefully, but just try to, you know, get the Holy Spirit to speak a word to me. And then Whatever the Spirit says, that must be what the Bible means. Well, no, that's that's nonsense, obviously. What is the text saying there? It's saying that you have an unction from the Holy Spirit if you are in Christ. You have the Spirit abiding in you. You can be like the Bereans who searched the scriptures of what the Apostle Paul said to see if what he was saying was true. And they, by the Spirit, studying the scriptures, determined, yes, this is true. But we also know in Ephesians chapter 4 that Paul says Christ's work was to give us pastors and teachers today. So we absolutely do need pastors and teachers today. We do need people to teach us. Christ died and bled and ascended and gave the Holy Spirit and chose certain men to be pastors, teachers, elders for that very purpose. Um, and you say, well, no, it says, you know, what, what do we do here? Ephesians 4 says we need teachers. 1 John 2 says we don't need teachers. Scripture must interpret Scripture. You have to read the Bible carefully. You have to read the Bible in context. You have to pour yourself into the Word of God to understand the Word of God. 
But we don't think critically, by and large, today, as people. We're not careful students of, I hate to say it, but a lot of times we're not careful students of many things. And, you know, if you learn a skill or a craft, uh, whether it's a hands-on craft or a, some other intellectual thing, or you study, uh, it could be anything, history, uh, you're a mechanic, you're going to realize there's going to be some things that to other people are going to look very counterintuitive or contradictory um, in one way or another. But because of your skill, your wisdom, your hands-on experience, uh, you know that not to be the case. You know, medical field, I mean, there, there's so many places where that's true. Well, if you're a Christian, every Christian is called to be a diligent student of God's Word and has the Holy Spirit in their hearts to enable them to do that. So you do not need, as it were, the Holy Spirit to... Uh, or, sorry, you do not need the, the a teacher, another person, to help you understand the very essence or basics of God's Word. You have the Holy Spirit. You can go to the Bible. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You can go to the Bible and study it, and the Spirit will help you to understand it. But God has so gifted by the Spirit some men, not women, but men, and that's another discussion, uh, to uh, explain, expound, proclaim with authority from God himself, uh, clarifies and God uh, even by that self-same Spirit that you have. But God has given some a special gifting of the Holy Spirit to teach and proclaim the Word of God and to be the shepherd, uh, under-shepherds, of, of your soul. Um, but that's a difference in um, degree, not in kind. What, what do I mean by that? What I mean is, you too have the Holy Spirit. I am a pastor, and God has called me, and by His grace and mercy and kindness, not by my deserving, uh, gifted me, to be a, a an expositor, a teacher, a counselor, a shepherd, a minister, a pastor, a preacher of God's word. And that's a wonderful thing. But at the same time, I don't go to my congregation. I wouldn't go to anybody watching this who's a Christian and say, you can't understand the Bible without me. You have to have me to, to you know, take you by the hand and explain every bit of it to you. That's not the truth. And it's very funny to me, sad, that a lot of prosperity preachers and, you know, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, whatever, um, they may not say that explicitly, but the sort of cult-like following that they get is to keep sheep dumb sheep, right? To keep them ignorant of the scriptures, to keep them like, you must listen to me, like I'm a guru who alone has the secret, hidden, higher wisdom of God's word, you can't even understand it. Just accept it from me as if I am the authority uh, alone in your life or something like that. No, you too have the Holy Spirit. You too, like the Bereans, can search the scriptures to see uh, whether or not what I am saying is true, is biblical. So it's a difference in degree between a, a pastor, a teacher, and a person in the pew uh, of gifting of the Spirit. But both have the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit gives all Christians the ability uh, to, to not just understand, but to love God's Word. It comes in varying degrees, and even pastors and teachers need help. And even among pastors and teachers, there's various degrees of giftings to be you know, teacher in the sense of uh, how eloquent, how clear, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, the qualifications for elders, one of them is able to teach. For deacons, that's not there. But all of us can, whether we're capable of explaining it, uh, proclaiming it in, 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 a, in a way in which would qualify us to be an elder, a pastor or not, all of us have the spirit so that we can be guided in the study of God's word for ourselves as the Word of God uh, is the Spirit's Word. So, I spent a lot of time on that, but I think that's uh, important. The Bible it should be an open book studied carefully by all Christians, not just pastors and teachers, to sort of um, impose or be the brains of the church and everybody else is, you know, uh, the body 
uh, but not the brains. And they just, you know, follow unthinkingly like a robot the commands. No, you study the scriptures. In fact, you can't really obey the scriptures or even understand what the pastor is saying unless you come to see from the text itself and from the teaching of the Bible in the whole, um, on the whole. If you don't come to see that this is what God's word says, then you're not really acting in faith that this is God's word. Well, my pastor said this, so I, I guess I ought to do that. Well, in one sense, until you fully understand it to the degree that you do, yeah, you should. But in another sense, if you're not persuaded it is right or it's biblical, you might be wrong that you're not to not be persuaded. You might be incorrect, but you can't really walk uh, in faith and confidence and conviction that this is God's word until you yourself come to see it from the scriptures. And so all Christians must be diligent students of God's holy word. Um, what else? Let's see. Yeah, I wanted to talk again about, it says in section 6 here, of the confession, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Um, again, it goes to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Uh, Galatians 1, 8 through 9. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So, so, so think about that. Not, not that a true angel from heaven, unless he's a fallen angel, a demon, um, but it, it means an angel that is unfallen and in heaven. Not that this would happen or could happen, but even if a, a an actual angel of the Lord were to speak something contrary to the apostle's word as written in scripture, they're to be damned, they're to be accursed. So what does that mean? Or what does that matter? What is that saying? That is saying the word of God is your baseline. If an angel of light appeared to you and said something that was contrary to the Bible, what are you to do? There's absolutely no question what you are to do. You are to tell that angel of light to go pound sand and hold fast to God's actual words in the Bible. Because scripture also says that Satan's, you know, demons masquerade as angels of light. Think about false teachers. Oh, this man is speaking pure truth here. But when I read the Bible, it seems like actually what he's saying isn't true. Well, what do you do? How do you make a determination? Well, this man claims to have healed people and God spoke in special words to him. He must be a holy man. No. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And Christ goes on there and says, "Some will, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not cast out demons in your name and do this and that in your name? And I will say, Jesus says, I will say to you, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So just because someone even claims to have a word from God or has claimed to have done or been or around or seen healing means absolutely nothing regarding holiness. It means nothing at all. Many such people, Jesus says, I'm going to throw into hell and say, I don't know you. So what is holy is God's word. These revelations that are you know proposed, okay, let's add them to God's word then if it's really a word from God. Oh, I don't want to do that because, because why? Because deep down we know the Bible is God's word and the only voice. The spirit doesn't speak with a forked tongue. The spirit isn't adding new revelation. You say, well, there was, there was revelation and dreams and visions in the first century after Christ came. Your young men shall dream dreams and, um, you know, have these visions and revelations. Well, why is that? Can, can you answer that for me? Why, why would that be true at that time, but not now? Well, the answer is that the New Testament scriptures weren't completely written at that point. That that was still happening. Christ has come, his work has been finished, and people need to understand the significance of his work and what he has done. And the as we looked at earlier in, in the Westminster Confession, that clarity will be crystallized and literally written in the Bible, in the Word of God, but at that time, that had not yet been done. That had not yet been completed. You know, people date the, the close of the canon, the last book to be written uh, in, in the New Testament at different places. Some put it, you know, 
late AD, you know, sixties. Others will extend it out to AD, you know, 90 something, I believe. The point is that whether it's AD 70 or AD 100, that's many years, right? After Christ's death, burial, resurrection, you know, I, if he was, if he was, you know, died and rose around AD 30 or whatever you want to say, even AD 70, that's a whole generation that's 40 years later. Right, that's a foundational time um, in which that apostolic foundation is being laid, as Ephesians 2.20 says. Forty years. Christ has come. What does this mean? It's going to take time for the New Testament scriptures to be completed and written. That was the time and age of the apostles, and therefore the time and age in which the Spirit was giving dreams and revelations uh, to the people. But what were those dreams and revelations of or about? Oh, I should take this job or I should marry this person. No, it was teaching them and opening their minds and understanding ultimately to the very things that are now completely written and recorded to us in scripture. I hope you understand the significance of that. There, there was no advantage to having these dreams and revelations. One, they were confirming sign that the spirit has been poured out, but two, what they dreamed and envisioned and saw was not merely in harmony with what's in Scripture, but it wasn't anything further than that. Do you actually think that people were getting dreams and revelations and visions in the first century um, that go that, that reveal more of God or go deeper into the glory of God than what we have in the Bible today? That is nigh to blasphemy to think that, to think that the Bible... To, to try to say at the same time, the Bible is the complete and full and authoritative word of God that reveals all of his glory. And yet, those in the first century had deeper insight and deeper glory that isn't given to us in Scripture. That is a smearing of God and his word in Scripture to us. It is to say that you do not believe the Bible to be the complete and full and final revelation of God. It is to deny that. Because you're saying... Either there still needs to be more revelation, more dreams and visions, and so let's go chase that, or, well, maybe those have ceased, but too bad, because the first century folks got it. Either way, you're undermining the Word of God and its sufficiency, and that is a clear break with Christianity throughout history. We have to emphasize that in the sort of charismatic chaos of so many today. Um... So there is no new revelations of the Spirit, no, you know, like the Roman Catholic Church or other things. It's not like added traditions or, you know, papal declarations by the Pope or some council adds to the Bible. Uh, all of that is false. All of that is false. The Westminster Confession I'm reading from, from um, acknowledges such that uh, councils like itself can and do err and are not infallible. So when we, like our denomination, our church, we hold to, the elders hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith, for example, and the three forms of unity, which is other confessions and catechisms. What, what do we mean we hold to it? Do we hold to it like it's Holy Bible? No. We hold to it as subordinate, helpful, but not infallible summaries of what Scripture says. Um, so... Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit. It goes on in the Westminster Confession. We, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word. So, to have a saving understanding. That, that, that's, that word is carrying a lot of freight. Let's put it like that. Saving understanding. That to, to savingly receive Christ as Lord and Savior, to, to come to faith in him truly and genuinely, because of the hardness and deadness of our hearts and sin, we must be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit must work to give us a saving understanding of God as revealed in his word. And that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the church common to human actions and societies, which are to be ordered by the light of nature roughly speaking, common sense and Christian prudence, uh, you know, wisdom 
borne out from careful study and applying certain situations to where you're at at the time, according to the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. The Bible is complete and full and final, and yet part of its fullness and completeness is that it gives principles that, drawn from the scriptures, you can apply to whatever you're facing in a modern situation, like um, you know, technological medical advances that um, are capable of producing, you know, these, these mutations of the body that are so advanced that people believe or, you know, say, I'm a man, I'm a woman. Well, obviously the technology, the medical stuff like that didn't exist in Bible times. But we have principles from the Bible to understand and handle that and can plainly say in the image of God, he made them male and female, he created them. So no, I'm not calling you by your preferred pronouns because that would be a lie, right? Things like that. Um, <clears throat> Section 7, all things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Right? We all have lesser or greater, you know, lesser or greater degrees of light, of understanding of God's Word. Yet, those things which are necessary to be known, believed and observed for salvation, are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other, that not only the learned, but the unlearned, even if you can't read, but you just hear the Gospel, that Christ died for your sins. You're a sinner. You need salvation. Repent and trust in Christ. There's the Son of God who who made you and takes care of you and worship and serve him. That basic essence can be believed even by the unlearned uh, and understood and received by faith by the power of the Spirit. Um, so the learned and the unlearned, in a due sense of the ordinary means, may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. And there's, there's Bible passages for all this as well, but for the sake of time, I won't, I won't go into that. So, uh, section 8, the Old Testament in Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of God and Old, and the New Testament in Greek, which at the time of the writing of it was most generally known to the nations, being immediately inspired by God, and by his singular care and providence, kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentical. So as, in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal unto them. So we notice we're appealing to the Hebrew and the Greek, not the English or other translations of them. We're saying the Hebrew was inspired, the Greek was inspired, because that's what they were originally written in. And of course, we would say the original autographs or writings of them is what was inspired, not the copies that we have today. However... The copies we have today are, and this gets into a lot of textual criticism and stuff, but the copies that we have today are so preserved by God, down, you know, kept pure in all ages by God's providential care, that we can be sure that the word of God we have today, based on the copies of the Hebrew and the Greek, are truly God's word. Um, so continuing on. Uh, that's, that's where we are to appeal to uh, in all controversies of religion, uh, which is why pastors like myself uh, ought to know Hebrew and Greek and you know work their messages and their sermons starting from there, uh, even if, you know, like me, you're relying on a lot of lexical aids to help you with that. Uh, continuing, but because these original tongues are not known to all the people of God who have right unto and interest in the scriptures and are commanded in the fear of God, to read and search them, therefore, they are to be translated into the vulgar language, or just the language of every tribe, tongue, and nation, of every nation to which they come. Why? So that the word of God, dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship him in an acceptable manner, and through patience and comfort of the scriptures may have hope. Because we all have the spirit if we're in Christ, uh, because in one sense we all can understand the Bible and and don't learn merely through teachers, but can teach ourselves by study, by the Spirit working in our heart. Therefore, the Bible ought to be translated into every language that the gospel goes into, that the word goes forth to, so that the people can read it and understand it. We don't want it to be like, um, you know, the days before the Reformation, where, you know, the Bible was something closer to be un being under lock and key, or, you know, in Latin, in language that the trained, the learned knew, but the common people, you know, would not 
No. And so the Bible was effectively closed off to them, and they were at the mercy of <laughs> the very corrupt Roman Catholic Church at that time. Well, today, do we not have a, a modern counterpart of that, where we have the Bible, and yet we're chasing excitements, so-called revivals, we're chasing um, you know, tongue-speaking revelations and healings, everything except actually studying the Bible. But the people of God is much more complicit today because you can get the Bible on your phone. You can get the Bible on the internet. You can get, there's Bibles galore. They're everywhere collecting dust on a shelf because we don't even believe the Bible is the word of God. We don't. We don't. If we did, we'd read it more. We'd love it. We'd cherish it more. Instead, it's a, a mantelpiece, even for Christians, far more than uh, something to be poured over and studied. Now, this is where we're going to wrap up on the fat last two you know, points here and, and lead into our next video that we'll do on this, section 9 for interpretation of the Bible. The infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. Scripture interprets Scripture. Not my dad said it, my pastor said it, the Pope said it, but Scripture interprets Scripture. That is the infallible rule of interpretation. If I don't know what Scripture means... In this section, then let me go to another section of Scripture where it's clearer to help shed some light on itself. Right? The Holy Spirit interprets the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's words are God's words. The Bible is the Word of God, specifically the Spirit-breathed, God-breathed Word. Um, and therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture, and it says, which is not manifold, but one, at, at, at root, the Bible has one sense to scripture you can't say well it has four different meanings and you know pick your pick your meaning or it could mean four different things and, and that leads you into knots and contradictions and so on there might be multiple applications um but one ultimate sense um in in, in, in any given text or point of doctrine in scripture um, it must be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly that's what i had just got done saying um Again, it, 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 the proof text, John 5, 46, For had ye believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Right? If you want to understand Christ better, go read Moses in the Old Testament. Right? We don't think like that, but we ought to. Um, and in some ways, vice versa, right? If I don't understand what's being said here, then maybe when I go and read the, the Gospels, that'll shed some light, because the Bible is one unit. It's one voice. It's God's voice. Um... What else? Acts 15.15, and to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written. Uh, it's just showing the unity of Scripture, how one place confirms and explains the other. Okay, so finally, the supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined, and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined, and in, and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking in the Scripture. There's doctrinal disputes, uh, decrees of councils that we agree or disagree with and not sure. At the end of the day, what does it come down to? It comes down to the Spirit-inspired Scriptures. The Spirit's voice in Scripture itself. But today we, we don't even think of the Bible as inspired. That's why I'm doing this video. And starting with Bible basics, what is the Bible? We can't even take that for granted among um, supposedly Bible-believing Christians today. Again, I go back to the Joel Osteen thing. This is my Bible. I believe what it says, and it's what it says I have, I have. What it says to do, I must do, etc., etc. Joel Osteen doesn't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. He's a charlatan. He's a false teacher. You know, a Benny Hinn can trumpet the Bible and say, look, the Bible's true, and it's it's our guide. And yes, I believe it and affirm it. And he spends all his time doing faith healing and slapping people with his cloak and, and other nonsense. Uh, mangling scripture all along the way. Using the, the, the Bible as a tool to promote himself and his bank account. So, you know, that's where things are at here. Um... Some proof text on that, Matthew 22, 29, and 31. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God? 
saying, and it goes on and, and, and talks about that. Right? Jesus always is appealing to the scriptures, right? When he's combating the Pharisees, when, when, when all kinds of things are going on, what does he appeal to? The scriptures has already written. Now, he is the ultimate prophet. He's the word made flesh. So certainly there's a further advancing and revelation that he's giving, you know, all that the father, you know, told me to do and say, I do. Right. So there is new revelation in, in, in Christ. <laughs> he is a new revelation. He is the word made flesh in that sense. Um, but it's connected to scripture. It's not divorced from it. It's not like, okay, I'm here now. Forget the Old Testament. No, like they all speak of me. Do you not know? Do you not know? Have you not studied Moses? Have you not read the Bible? Do you not understand what I'm saying was already told to you, at least in seed form in the Old Testament? I'm building upon that. I'm not contradicting that, nor am I separating from that. I'm, I'm, the Abrahamic promises are being fulfilled now in me, in Christ, right? Like that's the continuity of all of the scriptures, and hence the rule for interpretation is that scripture interprets scripture, and hence the Supreme Judge is Scripture alone, the Holy Spirit speaking in the Scriptures, not the Holy Spirit whispering in my ear or some, you know, wise sage or the Pope or whatever. So next time, I want to talk more about how to interpret the Bible. We see what the Bible is now. It is God's holy word, infallible uh, and inerrant, meaning it cannot, uh, it, not only can it not err or have errors in it, but it cannot because it is God's word. And so it does not err, and it cannot err or have error in it. It's God's word. God is truth. In him is no lie. And so everything it says is absolutely true. And all that it says is good for us. It's complete. It's sufficient. And that's critical to, to, to emphasize. It is in itself sufficient. And the problem is many of us are lazy. We don't want to take up and read the scriptures. We don't want to have to pour over it. We think if God really loved us, he would have made it easier for us. And what we need to say is how much easier could he have made it? He gave me all these words of scripture to know him and his glory and his majesty in one book. Yes, 66 books compiled into one book, but you get the point. It's all right here. Why would I, if I love God, why would I not, would I not want to study him? And draw closer in my union and communion with him. And how do you do that? But by the word of God and prayer, fellowship with the saints, church, worship, and so on. That's the focus that we need to have as Christians. And if we do that, a lot of our errors, a lot of our silliness is going to be washed away. And we're going to be able to see through a lot of our modern church you know, problems. So next time we're going to talk about uh, rules for interpreting scripture more. And I have from a fellow pastor, uh, Joseph Spurgeon, I think he gave like 14 points uh, of uh, rules, you know, for interpreting scripture. Not like he created them, you know, out of nothing. Uh, they're just standard, you know, principles for understanding and applying the Bible that have been recognized for a long time. But he, he helpfully put them together and summarized them. And so briefly, I'll list them. The Holy Interpreter is the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. The rule of scripture. Scripture never contradicts itself. You know, we, we go to the more clear passages to understand the less clear. Uh, the rule of faith, all the scriptures God breathed. Um, the Bible is a complete revelation. Uh, a passage must be considered in light of the rest of scripture. Context, we must read the Bible in both the immediate and remote context. Um, relation of the Testaments, the Old New Testaments inform each other. Uh, the Old Testament, every doctrine that we need to believe or commandment of God for our living is found in the Old Testament in at least its kernel form. This is why Paul told Timothy that the scriptures would equip him for every good work and make him wise for salvation. The New Testament is the blossoming of those kernels into full form, going from types and shadows to the fulfillment in Christ. Uh, the church is multi-generational, um, down through the lines, believers and their children, uh, we don't, and, and the point he's making here hermeneutically is that God has given men wisdom, the spirit through the ages. We should glean from that. That's why confessions and creeds, though not infallible in the word of God, are helpful because it is God's spirit who has given godly men down through the ages um, understanding of his word. And so we don't start from scratch. We build upon generation from generation, always studying the scriptures like Bereans and so on, of course. 
Uh, the sufficiency of Scripture. We talked about that. Christ is central. The clarity of Scripture. Scripture is clear. You can't say it's unclear. The application of Scripture to all of life. Natural revelation. God revealed himself in nature, and that the Bible in many ways assumes nature. It doesn't argue for it. it, it nature doesn't need an argument. Nature is a revelation of God. Uh, the use of wisdom, uh, that we apply principles uh, from Scripture and deduce wisdom to apply to life that isn't necessarily explicitly stated, um, but is either implicitly drawn out or we're just applying the explicit and the implicit wisely, handling it well um, throughout our life. So we're going to look at some of those things together in more detail, uh, Lord willing, in a separate video. But I hope this is helpful. I hope at least you understand better what God's Word is, that it is the sole and final authority, and that you would take it up and read it with that humility and respect and be blessed as a spirit opens your eyes to understand it in your study of God's word. Thanks and God bless.